<laughs> Welcome back to Judge Movie. Um, it's me, Judge Movie, Ben Flanagan, and I'm joined, as ever, by the cinema attorney. Alicia, is me? Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, how's it going? Welcome back to court. Good. Good, yeah, I'm glad to be back. Excited to talk about payback. To have a real case after we took a little sidebar uh, with the March Movie yes. Madness. Yes, it's back to sort of the normal normal format. Um, this is uh, on the Judge Movie podcast. Um, I like to present a case to the judge and we kind of argue the merits, the nuances and decide whether or not that, that, that aspect of film culture we're talking about deserves, um, what kind of justice it deserves. Yeah, um, and this week your case that you brought to me happened to coincide with another little project that we've been running. The 99 Project, where we Ooh. take a look back at the American movies of 1999, which is often considered a banner year for American cinema, and see um, whether that is actually such a year that should be held aloft. So um, what movie have you brought to us this time? Uh, today, I've got quite a few movies, actually. <laughs> I've got the, the, the Mel Gibson thriller Payback, uh, which was released in 1999. And then a special edition called Payback Straight Up the Director's Cut was released in 2006. Um, And it's quite different um, to the first Payback. And it's often held as an example of a director's cut that is worthwhile and is superior to Payback. So I want to think about those differences between those. And also Mel Gibson is back in cinemas in 2019 with Dragged Across Concrete. So... Maybe we'll compare paybacks to uh, to to that as well. S. Craig Zahler's uh, new crime epic. Um, mm. I think there's a couple of similarities between the two. Certainly a crossover in terms of the Mel of it all. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about payback. But I guess first we do. I, how do you want to tackle Gibson? Um, it's tough. He does have. He's quite a controversial figure. Uh, he was blacklisted in Hollywood for for a little while because of his like alcohol issues, his domestic violence issues, and his uh, racism issues. Um, He's a piece of shit, is what we're it, saying. <laughs> yes, um, I think it's kind of refers to that art versus the artist debate. Um, I think it, that that thing's quite subjective like for some people it's it's really easy to separate the art from the artist and for other people it's really hard like some people find it difficult to engage with the art anymore and some people just don't want to support their work because of what what the artist has done um and I think it's important to engage with both but so in this case we're going to focus more on Mel Gibson as as a text across the movies. Yeah I think that's a better way to look at it than as him as artist it's Gibson as text yeah, because um, he does. Yeah, he's a guy that there's a lot. There's a lot to him. There's a lot going on um, yeah. beyond the the racism. <laughs> um, so payback. This is Brian Helgeland's. Uh, was it his directorial debut after he'd written um, L.A. Confidential? It was. Yes, he'd worked uh, quite successfully as a screenwriter, and his probably best known for uh, his work on L.A. Confidential, for which he won an Oscar. And then, um, then he worked on Payback, which was his debut. Yeah, and it's 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 um, another neo noir, mm-hmm. um, which links back to an episode from a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
where well really it's a remake of um point blank the john borman film with lee marvin yes or it's based on the same novel yes. Yes, they are. Um, I also think it kind of calls back to The Limey, which you watched a few episodes ago, which is sort of a similar sort of neo-noir oh, yeah. This, I think, drawing a lot from Point Blank. I was trying to keep, keep The Limey out of my head watching this because <laughs> uh, it just, just pales so hard in comparison. Um, mm. And it, it, I, I think that Helgeland has a similar Anglophile streak in his direction. Um in harkening back to like Borman, um, do you think? Yeah, okay. or at least, or maybe that's the the extent to which I can keep the limey out of my head and point blank out of my head. <laughs> so payback is about a man known only as Porter, played by Mel Gibson. Um, after a successful heist with his wife and his best friend, they both betray him and shoot him dead. But he he survives, he recovers, and he goes on this very intense, focused mission to get his share of the money, to get back what he's owed. Um, and he comes across, you know, dirty cops, um, dirty criminals, and is playing over all over the city, trying to get what he needs. Yeah, um, but um, it was kind of gutted by by Paramount. Um, they fired Helgeland because uh, they they wanted to reshoot it to make the Mel Gibson character more likable. Um, and uh, was it Gibson himself that ended up shooting quite a lot of it, or at least cutting it himself? Um, I don't think so. I think he was involved because his company produced the film. He was very yeah, involved behind the scenes, but um, but uh, Terry Hayes rewrote it, and John Meyer, who was originally the production designer, uh, was directed the 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 new footage, which was about, they say like 30% of the movie. It's basically the third act is where it changes yeah. the most. Well, Terry um, Hayes also... um, is Mel Gibson's boy, isn't he? Because he wrote the Mad Max films. Yes, pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, With the, they also add a, a voiceover, which kind of makes it more clearly textually neo-noir. Um, the music is a little bit different. Um, Christoph- Chris Christopherson um is is introduced as, an, as a new villain yes which is a just a woman on the phone in the um director's cut yes um it's a great vocal performance <laughs> from sally kellerman <laughs> and does it t- so because chris christopherson's not there it takes out all the stuff of his son Yes, yeah, that 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 is added to the original version. F- well, the, well, theatrical. Cut. Yeah, the entire set piece at the ending is—it's mm-hmm. just a completely different thing. Um, yeah, one involves a shootout at a train station, uh, while the uh, the original version kind of reminded me of like the Breaking Bad kind of thing, where Walter White, you know, tricks a load of crooks into a situation where he's got the upper hand, you know. He seems like yes, it is quite elaborate and quite playful. Yes, which uh, doesn't really chime with the tone of the rest of the film, um, which has got sort of so washed out, um, almost monochromatic, isn't it? Mm. Um, and kind of ugly. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of leads me on to the, the first exhibit, Exhibit A, the colour palette of the two movies, and also, to a certain extent, dragged across concrete um so in the 99 cut um 
there's I'm not sure the technical process behind it but it's basically very very blue and sort of grey and silvery and it's almost yeah as you say monochromatic it's kind of like a black and white film just how deeply blue it is I think I read that they and... literally bleached the uh, the film stock to make it like that mm-hmm. mm. um, I think that's also it's, it also is intentional not just in the editing but like the the colours of the mise-en-scene are also intentionally those sort of shades but in the 2006 cut they kind of got rid of all that blueness and it's 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 still high contrast but there's there's more of a range of colours in there um which which do you prefer well it's it's odd isn't it because the um the director's cut has these these brighter colors but the gibson character porter is so much nastier and the film as a whole is um a little bit darker mm-hmm. uh which is kind of odd so i don't know if it works either way um like the the original version has this washed out tone but then is as you say it's just it is sort of playful and like i guess it just kind of reveals how empty the pastiche of it is i don't know i think the washed outness still can play into the pastiche um because it does or i guess it reveals like a... that that's all that it is that it's using like a simple marker of like noir by saying oh it's darker okay yes i can see where you're coming from i mean i always quite like that about it that it's almost absurdly blue but it it does kind of still look very striking um yeah there's a lot of other movies from that time that have that similar kind of look like it's not a whole way away from like seven or even like k-pax or something is it yes it is kind of a trend of that era or even elements in like traffic have that Mm -hmm. um because traffic uses different um color palettes for different storylines doesn't it so do you you prefer the you you prefer the original cut in that respect or i think they both work i think maybe you you can have this i feel like for something that's very desaturated and very blue and like singular in its look it can be kind of ugly but i think they've done quite a good job in the original payback of making it still look quite striking um like with its use of shadow and uh like so these angular lines and things i think it still looks good but i do quite like i don't know it's still very vivid in the 2006 cut it's still yeah. like over the top it's surprising how good uh or how well it fits the the original cut considering it wasn't shot like that yes i think you're right yeah um i, I think it was actually very good both cuts are quite smart and like seeing them together and comparing those differences i think they've got around it very in clever and interesting ways not lazy ways like they'll add a little bit of um like yeah how they've all cut it together yeah i mean well the director's cut's a good 10 minutes shorter isn't it it is Um, yeah and yet also kind of feels a lot longer I, i do think i prefer the original in some ways um okay i like that the uh, I think in in the in the director's cut, it um, withholds a lot more information about why he's doing this. Yes. Um, and I don't actually think that that's particularly important. Um, it, it, it's it's not a twist that like what's happened to him. It's mm-hmm. very evident from the start and his behaviour that he's seeking mm-hmm. revenge and he's been fucked over. Mm-hmm. So 
I quite like the, the original. It just kind of gets that out of the way in the first 10 minutes. And then mm-hmm. you just have the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the director's cut is, you know, it's not quite the sort of Tarantino level of like non-linear narrative, but um, yeah, the, the pacing of it just doesn't work quite as well for me. Mm, I did think from the beginning, the the 99 version does have, feels like that opening just feels like has so much more driving force because he starts off injured and we see him like propel himself out of it. Yeah. But the, the director's cut, yeah, does withhold the reveal of the injury and the withhold like his reasons. Um, I guess so you're not really sure of what he's doing. Like, does he need to be that violent and mean? Yeah. He is just very mean. <laughs> that's that's like the big takeaway from his character. I guess that's why Mel Gibson works so well, because he's just mad and horrible. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like he's playing against his star image at the time. Not totally playing against it, but, you know, he was super charming and he was a movie star and, like, very funny and lighthearted. But in this, it's it's just the meanness there. Yeah. I mean, off this is off of what? Um, Braveheart? Yeah, not long after that. I think. Where is Mel at this point? Let's 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 go through Mel. Um, so yeah, I think it's his after his Oscars for Braveheart. Um, Lethal Weapon franchise is still going strong. I oh, I thought that was already was over. Released. I think the third one was released in ninety eight. Well, three and four. No, the third one is ninety two. Oh right. So it must okay. be the fourth, and the fourth is a really bad film. I haven't actually seen any of them. Have you not? The one and two are, are great. And then it's mm. like, by the fourth one, it's like almost like a family comedy. It's really weird. Right. The first two are so violent and nasty. Okay. Um, Mel Gibson just plays a mad, like, suicidal cop. <laughs> um, so what have we got? We've got, after Braveheart, he does Pocahontas as John Smith. Not a film that's aged well. Um, have you ever seen Ransom? I've never seen Ratchet. I don't think no. I've seen that one. I think it's sort of a similar revenge thing. Yeah. But not quite. I don't think it's as nasty as uh, Payback is. No. That's a Gary Sinise. Is it Ron Howard's directed that one? Oh, so it must be a little bit yeah. lighter. And then there's yeah. Conspiracy Theory. That's a late mm-hmm. Richard Donner one. Um, I think it's also interesting. After Payback, he was uh, the voice of Rocky in Chicken Run. He did the comedy What Women Want and uh, also Signs, which is probably the funniest Shyamalan film. So <laughs> he's kind of in that likeable realm at that stage. But Yeah, I mean, What Women Want could be its whole whole episode of itself because it's like, <laughs> I mean, I kind of love that movie, but it's it's questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he does well in it. He's cast well in What Women Want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that film, that movie? Uh, I haven't watched it since I was a kid, um, but um, I remember thinking, you know, Mel was a good romantic comedy lead. And obviously, Rocky and Chicken is in Chicken Run is 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 iconic. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> He's really good great. in that movie. He's used very very well in that movie, and like the the like romantic banter is really funny in that. It's great. This is just, it's just an odd movie payback. Where, where are we payback from, from Mel then? It's like, he's right in it, but he's very straightforward. 
I don't think he... I think in his nastiness, you don't get to see a range of Mel. I disagree. There's one bit where he sort of is back with Maria Bello, who's a, like an old flame. Um, he ends up helping him out in the in the movie as it goes on. And I found the bit where they're where they sort of reminisce about their relationship really heartbreaking. Like, it's only done with a few lines of dialogue, but I find it very touching. Like, just filled with so much regret. Yeah. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a tiny sliver of range in that movie of Mel. I do actually think that the Mar- Maria Bello thing is something that works better in the remake. In the, in, not the remake, sorry, the, the director's cut. <laughs> um, because I think it's a good half an hour in the original before she even comes up. Whereas she's, she's, you're kind of aware of her as having been an old flame very early on in the director's cut. So it makes sense that she then becomes quite integral to his, his character. Did you want to go through the exhibits or like, is there something you wanted to say about the tone? Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, the exhibit B is the tone and, and in the director's cut. Is is it is the tone that's being captured in these two movies, which I think is uh, quite different, even when they're using a lot of the same footage. Um, how does how does that differ? Why um, why does that differ? And is and is um, is whatever Helgeland was actually going for um, an interesting tone? Because if you see, look at think of someone who's directed like Legend, um, which I don't think that his director's cut is very far off from a film like legend in in the tone um legend is so kind of hackneyed and um the violence in that is um just sort of depressing um and doesn't really tell you very much about the the characters for me on one level i'd like on the most basic level i noticed a lot of the jokes and funniest lines were sort of cut from the 99 version to the director's cut um and yes, it's like quite a bit shorter as well. So it felt like that leanness, um, that no fussing around, that very straightforward thing that is kind of what the Mel Gibson character is like was was what the tone of the the director's cut felt like to me. And I missed a couple of those jokes. There's also these weird bits like um, when, um, do you know the scene where uh, you got Bill Duke and the other cop and the club owner, and they show up and they've decided that they're going to like extort Mel Gibson to extort the money. And there's a bit where he's like leaning into their car; they're sending him in to to threaten someone, and it keeps cutting between their heads. Um, in it, in his very like, it's just their heads, and they're just taunting him individually. Um. And it's like nothing else in the film, in either version. Do you know this bit I mean? And they're just like laughing at him. And it's quite nightmarish. But he doesn't really react as if he's been phased by it at all. Um, and it was just bits like that where I was like, what? why have they done it in this way? I, I see what that is communicating, but it doesn't communicate anything else within the film. Um, and it's just stuff like that where I'm just unsure of how to what to take any of this as being about, or is it just that Brian Helgeland wanted like like point blank and wanted to do his version? I mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess he wanted to do that. I, I, you know, the 
it's, uh, it's another neo-noir, but this time you've got Mel Gibson. Um, uh, I think that's okay. I think it, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want to quest. I don't find myself questioning the film too much. I guess in the, uh, the very ending, you can see quite a big shift in the tone um, in the, it's effectively the same ending both times, but in the original, it's like, all right, baby, let's drive to nowhere. Where in the other one, it's a much more desperate, uh, he's injured and it's a last minute escape. But I think they say the same lines. They do. They say identical, identical lines. So I thought that was a really interesting point of comparison. Yes. It's interesting how it's a reverse of how they reverse it in the, in the 99 version, he starts off injured and he ends in this very clear victory. That's quite happy. Um, But in, um, the the 2006 version he he looks pretty normal in the beginning he looks quite healthy and mm. he's just he's just driven and he's walking around and but then it ends with him injured and it's it's you know far more ambiguous and less less ambiguously sort of happy ending um and you're right i, I quite like that i guess that's quite a cool way to directly compare them and i yeah. guess alludes to the the more subtle changes throughout the film yeah and to maybe what helgen was trying to say about this character um I guess maybe it wants you to question him a bit more because it hasn't ended. It, it, we still don't know how it's really ended for him in the in the director's cut. And then it's, yeah, I guess maybe you're invited to question his motives and his methods a bit more because it hasn't ended so well. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it goes blank to point blank as well. Like, I always found point blank ridiculous because it's like he goes all this way for like 20 grand. Uh, which I know is the 60s money, but like that's what he keeps saying. And he's in Mel Gibson says the same thing here, doesn't he? He's just like, I want my 70 grand, just constantly like, you've done all this for just that. Yes, and everyone this... is questioning him and surprised when they realize just how little money he's gone to all this trouble for. Um, which is yeah. it's kind of funny. Yeah, I guess that's the conceit, isn't it? Really, like, um, um, well, that kind of brings me to exhibit C, where this like notion of, of principle. Um, the director's mm-hmm. cut begins with this kind of hacky thing where it has the dictionary definition of principle, or oh, yes. as you might think, or like the the theme of the movie, um, which is that principle is one's own rule or, or code of conduct or devotion to such a code. Um, and I guess that's kind of the guiding theme of the director's cut. And to an extent, the, 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 the 99 cut, um, like payback sort of described as a revenge movie but i don't think it is strictly revenge i think it's more that he wants what he's owed he's not he's wants exactly what he's owed and and he's trying to get that back rather than inflicting Mm -hmm. vengeance like when he encounters the guy who betrayed him he doesn't like kill him immediately for revenge he sees a function to it and he's like get me my money that's what i want he wants what he's owed not what he doesn't want to hurt him necessarily yeah, I mean, in some ways, it's closer to a like an urban western than a noir, because it's the man in black that like rides into town, whore with a heart of gold, um, and the bandits and the corrupt law enforcement. It's um, yeah, and very strict notions of right and wrong, which I think the noir often tries to complicate, and I don't think is really complicated here, other than in passing his motivation. Yes, I think the film, you're right, it's not very complicated. It is kind of, even though it is inviting you to an extent to question his methods, it's, it is kind of like on its side. 
and that he should he should get what he wants because he cares that much. And you know, his um his nemesis, his ex best mate, is uh, who's that actor now? Rick Henry. He's a De Palma regular. He's a regular character actor scumbag. He's great. I love him. He he's I mean he's fun, but he's so over the top bad that it um that you you you're rooting for Mel again. Okay. Yes. Yes, you're right. It's not hard to uh to see who's the good or bad guy in that situation. It's not even like um, I mean, the P- the Peter Fonda character in the line is like horrible, but he has that magnetic charisma and that he's Peter Fonda, isn't he? So yes, I suppose you're right. What that what does make that character great is the over the topness, and that's basically the whole of the payback supporting cast. Like everyone is over the top and is great. There's a lot of really fun character actors in that. I love love that about payback. Yes, they are fun. Um... So the club owner played by David Paymo is just great kind of um, Italian. Yes. Uh, he actually, he owns a taxi rank. Oh, is that who he is? Yeah, but he hosts the illegal poker game with the Dirty Cops. Yeah. The Dirty Cops are really funny. They're great. Um, James Coburn's very funny as uh, Carter. Yeah, so you've got James Coburn and in the original... Um, there's also Chris Christopherson and I was kind of to go back to this thing of it being a western um made me think of Sam Peckinpah and that it was quite consciously kind of trying to evoke that uh trying to evoke like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid or something with by casting them as kind of elder statesmen yes and it's also got William Devane who's uh in a lot of sort of that classical Hollywood stuff um, as one of the, the higher ups as well. Um, but I don't know that it's like. I think they're, they're just there to like give it a bit of that, um, a bit of power rather than. The, but yeah, maybe it's not commenting on them. It's just it's, it's just using it's, their star power and history in a direct way. Yeah, because it comes at this time where everything's very self-reflexive, and everything's very keen to comment on itself i don't really think that that this is doing that i think this is a much more straightforward movie and maybe that's for better and for worse in terms of 1999 i don't know that this um has that power i think this is just kind of a thriller maybe that self-reflexiveness is typical of 99 but they're still very i mean even if this if you're saying this is an outlier, I don't, which I don't think it is. I think this kind of thriller was just as common throughout the nineties. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. I think it's just too generic to be, to kind of be on that next level, to be on the 99 level. It's memorably generic. It excels at the, the, the genre stuff. Do you think? Yeah. So what do you, do you have a preference between the original and the director's car or is, is it just kind of the entire payback thing works for you um that's really tough i think i quite like them both but there is it does enrich them to think about them together it enriches them both so yeah i'd have to go with the both of them <laughs> as a piece they pay yeah i mean it, it can, i think it sort of is of a piece 
Um, certainly if you want to look at it as a case study of the director's cut. Yeah, and they were released together. Um, I think the the most recent Blu-ray had both cuts. So you, yeah. you invite you yeah you can think of them as, as both that way like with respect to to all the filmmakers involved. Sure, and it's it's kind of a it's got it's I wouldn't say it's a cult movie, but it's it's somewhere in that realm. Yeah, it's got its fans. I think it's going to have a similar fan base to something like Dragged Across Concrete. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that and that is an off-putting film <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh huh. Um. Namely, its length. Yes, it is an epic, as you say. Um, over two and a half hours. Yes. With a very simple premise, um, which is that two disgraced cops want to do um, a heist to um, to help their families. And things get complicated. Um, things like... They're very angry about social justice and um you know blacks yes i'd say it is very minimal um the first half is quite loaded with characters describing their sort of ideologies and then the second half is more of a incredibly minimal but focused uh sort of crime gone wrong thing and then but following that very like as it unfolds almost in real time like all these stakeouts and stuff yeah and that stuff works really well for me um in a like michael mann kind of way yes so yeah this thing of professionalism is like a recurring thing throughout michael mann and i feel like it's very prominent in dragged across concrete as well definitely and that's just why uh the stuff about them all just espousing their points of view on the world is so um just rub me the wrong way because it's like when everything else has got a certain realism or at least a certain a certain energy to it when you're also just sticking in these mouthpieces and just saying the kind of stuff that you've got on your mind it's it's kind of frustrating that it isn't articulated through the plot yes yes you're right they are kind of like the antithesis of each other um yeah as you say mouthpieces versus realism and it builds to a climax. I mean, this film's quite new. It's coming out. It'll be out recently, just just now in the UK. Um, so I don't want to spoil it too much. But I, to me, the 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 ending that it builds towards between Mel Gibson and the um, the black ex criminal who becomes a criminal, Tory Kittles. Tory Kittles, who's great in the film. Mm, yeah, um, I found that there. Their climax has reminded me a lot of the three billboards and how kind of oh my god muddled that was. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison that works. Yeah, I I actually quite liked it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, and I think so. Uh, this is S. Craig Zala and his regular cinematographer Benji Bakshi. Um, and I think this is a real like step up from their previous movies. Um, like it's so beautiful. There's like this orange and blue fluorescent like city lighting that reminded me of collateral um mm-hmm. there's this like fog and mist and tear gas in the background and it looks really stunning like their, their compositions in this are really good um and it, yeah it, it worked for me <laughs> it yeah it, i mean there's an oddness to the way that the scenes play out isn't there i like i quite like the stillness of it 
but sometimes the characters is or at least the peripheral characters almost feel unreal like they're like sims or something yeah like non-playable characters in a video game <laughs> that like mel gibson would go and interact with do you, do you, do you know how I, what I mean by that i see what you're saying yeah but bits of it are just so reactionary and manipulative um, I'm especially thinking of um, the woman that works in a bank. You see a little bit of her. The Jennifer I, Carpenter stuff, yeah. I mean, you know where that's going from the minute they show her on screen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's. I've seen a lot of people sort of separating the provocations that uh, S. Craig Zalov is putting in these movies versus the the, the craft and the filmmaking and stuff. Um, and like saying they like the filmmaking, they like the, the the set pieces, but they don't like his deliberate sort of attempts to provoke. And I don't know. I guess on one level, I enjoy it. I was like, oh, that makes me sad or scared. And then, <laughs> on, but yeah, it does feel quite manipulative. And maybe what what is he trying to say with that, other than just just to provoke you? Which is a lot of with the politics of it as well, and the mouthpieces and the things that people are saying and doing. That's it. I just think he could, he obviously has a technical skill. So if he wants to really say these things, then he should do it through the, through the storyline. It was a toy, a toyter. If it was toy, uh, the film, you know, I could imagine that as a, as an hour 45 and it would be so tense and it would probably say the same kind of things about law and justice. Um, you know, there's a bit where Mel Gibson's, um, trying to convince Vince Vaughn to do the job and he's saying uh and Vince Vaughn's like going through all the things about his family and like society and etc and Mel Gibson's just like you do it for yourself you don't do it for anyone else and it's that kind of that's the ideology of the whole movie in a way isn't it is um it's about taking things um you know you know in a society gone wrong you just need to take it for yourself um and I and I don't think that it needs the hour 38 runtime to to say that um and then there's other pieces of violence that are just so um uh, not just gratuitous but depressing that reminded me of like elephant or something um or even worse like sicario 2 <laughs> sure but um you know in, in casting mel gibson and, and vince vaughn as your heroes you're saying quite a bit aren't you and I guess he wants to. Yes. There's all this debate around S. Craig Zala. Like, is he... Because he's doing these sort of neo-exploitation movies, there's this thing, like, is he reactionary or is he just depicting reactionariness? Is he endorsing it or is he just showing it? And I think he quite like quite likes playing into that. And he keeps just, like, pushing that little button. But it does feel kind of... In a showmanship way than, a, than an intellectual... and earnest way like like casting Mel Gibson as a racist cop like he's he's going for that yeah and I, I guess who else would you cast I don't know I don't think he's 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 not provoking you all the way like um he's not Von Trier is he no I think that's it I think he he has a lot of that in the beginning and that he does just kind of sit back and focus on the action and that kind of yeah it does make it feel kind of incomplete and not quite cohesive like yeah it doesn't feel like he's really means it because it's just like ho ho let's hit you with the this stuff first but then yeah. there's what i actually care about you're right actually the first 20 minutes are probably the hardest what's the line i i wasn't racist before i moved into this neighborhood is like the best line in the movie in a way 
Um, I don't know. I, I think also um, this uh, dubious fictional city of Bulwark <laughs> is another thing because, um, and I read in, in, he was interviewed in Sight and Sound this month and he said, um, oh, um, well, if I'd said it in New York, people would have just said it was New York. Or if I said it in Chicago, people would have pointed out the things that weren't quite Chicago. Um, and I actually think that that's a bit cowardly in a way to just, especially if he's talking about these vague concepts of justice and law and order, that he wouldn't actually, um, if he's trying to be, he's trying to be political, but not again, not actually making a point. It's just this vague like sense of, oh, the world's not what it was. Yes, I I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's it. Uh, yes, this this empty provocation is a little bit cowardly, and it kind of connects to these these thoughts I've been having about um, the the final exhibit of depiction of minorities and payback and dragged across concrete. Yeah. yeah. Um. So in in payback, you've got like the triads, and you've got um, <laughs> yes. you've got Lucy Liu as this dominatrix, and and they kind of go toe to toe with like the white criminal characters in the movie they're kind of like there's this thing that they're they're separate but they're equal they're just as powerful um mm-hmm. but in dragged across concrete there's sort of a clear there's a more clear de- depiction of minorities and power imbalances and who's got the upper hand and how people wield that power against each other especially like with mel gibson and vince vaughn as these these white corrupt well these white cops and how they treat minorities and stuff um and I don't know, I feel like, so, so Zala's sort of trying to be maybe a bit more real with that depiction, but it, I don't know, it doesn't really go anywhere. I found it the most, the most chilling and maybe effective uh, example of that in, in um, Joe the Cost Concrete was this, was between the um, criminals themselves, the, 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 the main gang, when there's the two, the two black criminals who have been enlisted by these um, white faceless murderers. Um, the the scene when um, the, one of them makes um, your man like clean up the the piss, like that that was uh, very effective. I I felt, but nasty as well. You know, you know yeah, um, that's horrible. Yeah, it's yeah, it, oh horrible in a lot of ways. But I, but it kind of made the point that the film is trying to make. I, I don't know, all that you're saying maybe. Yeah, no, I think that that is what it's doing, but. It doesn't, yeah. It's it's not quite going far enough in terms of a statement or like resolving it. Especially by the ending and what the last the last scene is. You know. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. We shouldn't really go into spoilers, but yeah, I don't know. It's kind of unsatisfying to me. You know, it's it's cringe, but you kind of want to make a point about America by the end because it's doing so much. It's laying so much of that groundwork, and then it it just kind of. Yeah. Again, we don't want to spoil it, but it just doesn't... It's a bit of a fart. <laughs> yes. It's a bit, it's a bit of a work, yeah. yeah. Nicely, nicely said. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the Lucy Liu is certainly worth talking about in um, in Payback. Because that is such a like star turn, isn't it? Yeah, it's great, yeah. Is that one of... That must be one of her first movies. Uh, so she'd been in a few things. Um, I think... In this one, she's yeah, she's very young. Now. She's like twenty years old at the time of release, and she's credited as, as Lucy Alexis Lou. Um, so yeah, it's kind of before her huge stuff. I think she was starting to be an Ally McBeal by this stage. But yeah, really, yeah, she's she's great in that movie. Love her. 
and and that's in a cast with the like a standout supporting cast. You you know you remember her. Yeah, definitely. I I've never actually seen Ali McBeal, so I didn't know that was a thing that she was in. Yeah. Um, I think that helped towards the the Charlie's Angels. <laughs> yeah. To until you get to Ballistic X versus Sever. It's a film I've always wanted to see. I think I might have even talked about it on this show before. Oh, yeah? Ballistic X vs. Sever. Do you know this movie? I don't know. Directed by Chaos. Yeah. Literally someone that's credited as Chaos. That's pretty cool. We've got Greg Henry, isn't it? What? He's back. Oh, my God. I have to see this movie. I always wanted to watch it. It was one of those that you go into, like, Blockbuster and... It would have like the staff picks and it would be the adventures of Pluto Nash and Ballistic X versus Sever. And I was like, these are like the best movies. I've got to check these two out. 3.6 on IMDb. Uh, yep. Antonio Banderas and Lucy Liu leads. Oh, this sounds pretty good. They're two spies that have to kill each other, but then they team up. It's, it's Batman versus Superman. Oh my God, that's my favorite trope. The fight <laughs> and then they team up. Oh yeah. my God. This sounds pretty okay. Wow. This is a future episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did think it was interesting in both films. You've got Mal as the big man protagonist, but then he is up against these very tall co-stars who are like six foot four, six foot five plus. But then it makes Mal look kind of small in comparison. Yeah, I always thought of him as a short guy. But he's he's pretty big. I, I don't know. I thought he was a big guy. But then is he? Well, he's he's physically imposing. He's an action star, right? But, yeah, but I thought of him in the Tom Cruise kind of thing, where he's like, you know, he's a you know he's beefy but not like tall. Yeah, I guess it just depends who he's who he's working with. But in both these films, you've got Vince Vaughn, and then both the crooked cops in Payback are much taller than him. And I I was yes. just wondering about that choice there. Like it works well that you've got Mel, our hero, being shoved around by these big guys. He's uh no he's one seven seven meters. I don't know what that is in English height, but he's the, he's he's seven centimeters taller than Tom Cruise. So he's pretty big. No, Cruise is short, so he's just like average height. I think he's what five eight. What Tom Cruise? Nah, Gibson. If Cruise is five seven. And Cruz is shorter than Danny Glover. Okay, sorry. Yes, you're right. And and uh, oh right, Mel Gibson, not that big. Well, he doesn't hide it, does he? He casts himself against these giants. <laughs> yes, definitely. And maybe that. Yeah, yeah, because he's sorry. He just knows he's got the presence, though. And especially early on, you know, Mad Max, he's always fighting like gigantic monster people, isn't he? So I guess he's confident in that. So like in Dragged Across Concrete, he's got this, he's like he's like close to retirement and his partner is a significantly younger um, Vince Vaughn and his former partner, Don Johnson, another 80s sort of action star has been promoted above him. And I guess maybe that's maybe that's playing part of it, like using these stars and their, their sort of images. Yes. Just sort of indicate uh, his, I don't know, his being overtaken by others. It's difficult to pass a judgment on payback and the the director's cut because um, 
I don't think it's a masterpiece by any stretch. I wouldn't, you know, when we when we do our 1999 top 10 list eventually, um, this probably won't be hitting mine, but um, it still has its place. I've seen, I saw it loads as a kid. Um, yeah. What do you? Um, what kept drawing you back to it? Just that it was an action film. I think <laughs> it is um, very cool. Just, it was always on as well. Mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So it's hard to it's hard to like, you know, disintegrate it forever. Mm-hmm. Thanos style. <laughs> I guess on balance, how do you feel about ninety nine with all of this, all, all that's said and done? Well, I mean, we've mostly talked about the the classics. Mm-hmm. And it's only in the last couple of weeks with doing the March Madness and now this that we're kind of looking at stuff that isn't quite as iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe we are seeing the cracks in the uh, in the sacred cow. Oh, okay, interesting. Okay. I would I would kind of argue that the cracks are the 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 sinewy connecting tissue that yeah. hold it all together. <laughs> That's um, the real the real flavour is in the crack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, if you love payback and you think that we've done it a real disservice, or if you're a you know snarling MAGA Trump fan. And uh, who cast concrete is the best thing you've ever seen. Then you can let us know what you felt about it. Uh, um, Judge Movie Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can also email us at judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find show notes with some links to the, some of the stuff we talked about. I'm also going to include an interview with Brian Helgeland talking about his sort of the actions that ended up with the director's cut. Um, on our WordPress, which is uh, judgemoviepod.wordpress.com. And uh, we'll be back next time with some more movies to judge on Judge Movie.